Physician's Road. Create your life in medicine, on your own terms. Today, we are on the path of health. Today, we speak with Houston-based cardiologist, Dr. Baxter Montgomery, on how changing to a plant-based diet has transformed himself, his practice, and the lives of his patients, and why eating a vegan diet doesn't necessarily mean a healthy one. The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free yourself today. Welcome everyone. This is Dr. Eric Tate, internal medicine physician, founder of the Physicians Road. And today we're on the path of health. We're here with Dr. Baxter Montgomery, um, a cardiologist who has had a very interesting career. He is a proponent of a plant-based diet and has based his own lifestyle and his practice on that way of eating and way of being. And so I'd like to introduce Dr. Baxter Montgomery to the world. Dr. Montgomery, how are you doing tonight? Fine, thank you. Thank you for having me, Eric. Of course, of course, of course. Uh, we've, you know, we've been colleagues for many years now. I, I remember kind of when you were moving your practice over and changing. And so what we want to do for the audience is give them an understanding of um, how you came to this. So give, give us a little bit about your background, kind of where you're from, where you went to school, um, yeah. and tell us a little bit about your journey. Sure. Well, you know, born and raised in Houston, so I'm homegrown. I like to tell people that I'm like one of these oak trees around here, sort of rooted and, and uh, homegrown. I uh, went to school locally, uh, did my undergraduate work at Rice as a biochemistry major. Uh, then I uh, went to UTMB in Galveston for my medical school training and came back to Houston and did my, under, my uh, medical internship and residency at Baylor College of Medicine and did my uh, cardiology fellowship and cardiac electrophysiology subfellowship at the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston. I uh, wanted to make Houston my home. Obviously, wanted to raise my kids here near their grandparents, and so I uh, started my practice uh, right out of training in 1997 and uh, started working as a cardiologist, and I began doing the routine things. Uh, I was one of the first 10 cardiac electrophysiologist in private practice in Houston, uh, and uh, started, uh, got privileges at uh, many different hospitals and started taking emergency room calls and doing the usual things that physicians, you know, did, you know, at that time. Historically, uh, we would, you know, take emergency room call and, you know, meet other doctors in the physician lounge and build our practice that way. Uh, and so I had a very fruitful career, you know. Uh, my practice at that time, this is in the mid, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, primarily working as a cardiologist doing mostly interventional work, uh, calf, uh, pacemaker, defibrillator implant, uh, lead extraction device, complex electrical ablations, uh, and the like. So very busy practice both in the hospital, uh, in the lab, as well as uh, in the office. Uh, over the years, uh, Things evolve from a business standpoint. I started to capitalize my practice and, and started doing things more uh, in the office. Started doing nuclear stress tests and, and started to build more of an office-based practice. 
So the balance occurred, say, around the mid-2000s to the late 2000s. Uh, as things evolved, you know, the family started to grow and develop. Kids came along, got busy. Uh, I noticed some changes in myself. Uh, started having some health issues, particularly elevated cholesterol and the like. Uh, personally, I knew the value of getting your cholesterol down, but didn't want to take medications. I always had an interest in wellness, and so that was something that was always uh, if you in the back of my mind, if you will, in terms of how can I develop a practice that helps patients get better. I really didn't know what that meant at the time. And so uh, as time evolved, I did my own research about natural ways of improving uh, patients' health and condition. I remember one patient coming in, uh, being on a number of supplements. He was seeing an herbalist. I actually, my nurse practitioner and I went and met with the herbalist and we visited and talked. And so I started learning. This began my journey of learning about ways of helping people achieve optimal health outside of the traditional medical uh, approach that I had been trained over the years. In that course of studying, uh, I ran across the concepts of plant-based nutrition. One thing I didn't notice that if you look at every form of so-called natural cures, most approaches utilize some form of fresh fruits and vegetables. So whether it's selling some kind of herbs, et cetera, there's all the concept of eat fresh fruits and vegetables and of course exercise, et cetera. So this is a common denominator in terms of nutrients to consume. So that was something that struck me. And then of course I came across plant-based nutrition and read a lot about that and read the science on that. In parallel to this journey, uh, my mom took ill and she became really deathly ill and I ended up being her uh, physician in the hospital and applied some of the techniques that I've learned about, but in the context of taking care of her in her final days of life, I learned some very valuable lessons. Uh, and this is something that really motivated me to, to move further in uh, this area. In fact, I outlined this, uh, this story in my book, The Food Prescription for Better Health, uh, which is found on Amazon, of course, but I outlined this you know, concept and, and this journey in my book. But uh, to continue the story, so as I got into this approach and we, we started applying plant-based nutrition, first I applied it to my own lifestyle, uh, amazing benefits, my cholesterol normalized, I was able to prevent myself from taking medications. I started applying this to patients. Uh, and it was a grueling process because I didn't have you know, any support systems, didn't have any tools, anything. I would go to a patient's room and write down diets and recipes and hand it to them and you know, have them come back in seven days on salads and all, and they did great. You know, So we had good success, but it was hard to get them to sustain this. And so over time, uh, I realized that this is something I really had to figure out. The reason is I saw amazing results. We saw, I would see patients come back in 10 days, coming off oxygen, uh, the arthritis was getting better. We're weaning them from medications in just a few weeks. Uh, so I saw amazing results. It's just that it was difficult to get the patient to sustain this approach. So one thing led to another. We, you know, continued this process in my practice. I started adopting different approaches, adding different um, uh, components. Uh, we started nutritional boot camp classes on weekends. We take patients shopping and so on. Uh, the news media got wind of what we were doing. And so 
a number of news stories were done and, and more patients, more individuals in the community found out about this. And so this helped us, helped us grow. And we started to develop a, a name and reputation for this approach. It was an evolutionary process. First personal journey, business journey, my practice. And we started integrating food into the practice. Uh, we had wellness programs, memberships, and eventually uh, out of the demand for our patients, they said, look, we don't have time to prepare the food. The recipes are wonderful. We want to buy it from you. So with that request and that demand, I had to get into the restaurant business. And uh, it was quite a journey, I'll tell you. And it's still quite a journey. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it is. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I met with my accountant, and uh, basically we shared with him. He said, look, you know, uh, do it as cheaply as possible. You know, you need to be economical with this. And I was. We made uh, revisions in our building, and thankfully I had my own building with, you know, uh, developed some land and, and put together our own medical facility, and we had room to, to make changes, get the restaurant uh, built. And uh, I was my first chef, essentially, because uh, the first, uh, the, the intended first chef, you know, sort of bugged out after about a couple of weeks. And so I ended up having to sort of prepare the food, you know, round on patient, prepare the food. And uh, it was quite a, quite a journey, but uh, we did well. Uh, the value continued to grow. And that's one thing, you know, I learned uh, from my accountant and my experience is, um, you know, value is key. If you're generating value, then your business is growing in the right way. Money follows value. And oftentimes people get started on a project. So well, this isn't making any money. And so I'm going to put it aside. Uh, and oftentimes it takes a while for it to make money. And, and we learned that, you know, the, the I wouldn't say the hard way. Uh, we learned it more directly uh, and understood it. Uh, but we continue to grow the restaurant because we knew and I saw our patients getting better. And our practice continued to evolve. You know, we've had some other components of functional medicine. Uh, I've integrated this in my hospital uh, patient treatment. And my practice went from, uh, at its onset, from a practice where I was seeing patients and treating acutely ill patients with procedures, pills, medications, hospitalization, to a point where we are, we still treat patients with procedures, I still go to the hospital, but that part has gone, has subsided a great deal, largely because, well, two reasons, one, uh, because of our influence on the health and lives of our patients in the clinic, we've actually prevent you know, their progression of disease. So you know, our new patients are pro progressing less. And plus, we're getting people who are opting out of those procedures and surgeries coming to see us to try to prevent the need for them. So it's been very gratifying. It's, it's, um, I actually consider it a ministry uh, more so than just uh, a medical practice or business, if you will, because it's something I'm very, very passionate about. Got it. Okay, perfect. Well, that's that's a perfect synopsis of your journey. And what I can hear here definitely is there's a there's a mission component to what it is that you're doing, um, which can help to buoy you through um, any hard times, especially during that early startup. Uh, I wonder if you remember the conversation that we had at, when you came to, by my office for lunch years ago. I think we had this conversation, I think, long before you started this whole process. Yep. <laughs> I remember that. That's, uh, you're bringing back uh, old memories, but uh, I do remember that. And it was, um, I, yeah, I can't, uh, it, it's, you know, it was 
at that time, uh, I was just as eager. And of course, we didn't have nearly the, the success that we're having now. But I was just as excited about it at that time as I am now. And the, and the interesting thing about it, I'm glad you brought that up, because I remember a story being told about Walt Disney. And uh, there was uh, one of the guys who had worked very closely with him. Actually, a couple of guys were talking. I think it was when after they opened Disney World or uh, one of the first parks. And uh, it was after Walt Disney had died. And uh, they were marveling over the beauty of the park and uh, the magnificence of it. And uh, one of the guys says to the other, says, wow, if Walt Disney could see this. And the other guy said, he already did. <laughs> that's right, in his, in his mind. In his mind, in his mind. And that's the way, you know, that's why I, I kind of envision this whole thing coming together. And, and sometimes it's a little fuzzy, sometimes it's crystal clear. Uh, but it's, it's, it's an enjoyment uh, and it's a realization that I can experience in my mindset even before it's truly seen by everybody else. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. All, all, all dreams are, are a vision first. Uh, and it's just a matter of how do you go about executing it. And so for clarification, so you say plant-based, are you and the way that you are treating, is it, is it kind of a strict vegan? Is it just plant-based? How would you characterize kind of yeah. your philosophy around this? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, the term vegan is convenient because uh, many people know that means the exclusion of, you know, any animal products, including dairy and eggs. Uh, and, and it's a quick, you know, sort of quick word. To short use, very short. Uh, so from that standpoint, the word vegan is, is, is correct. However, uh, vegan is inaccurate in a sense that if I have a patient coming in with congestive heart failure and they're on a lot of medications and, and we're going to try to reverse their health condition, uh, with illness, I mean, with food, then we need to be very precise with what, you know, we say they have to eat and don't eat. Uh, there are a lot of vegan foods that have fried foods and lots of oils and preservatives and the like. And obviously, those foods are not the types of foods that you want to try to eat if you're trying to reverse an illness. Uh, and we see a lot of people coming in with persistent illness who are on a quote-unquote vegan diet or even plant-based. But our approach, and we've... Uh, used a uh, food classification system. It's a zero to 10 scale. Uh, and zero, the lower the number, the healthier the food. Zero foods are juiced or, or liquefied. And uh, foods that are up to level 4B are raw. Uh, and then foods beyond there, where we start to be on from 4C, 5, and 6, we add heat. Beyond level 6 is where the animal protein comes in, clean fish at 7 and then uh, some other domesticated foods at eight, processed, heavily processed foods, nine and 10. But also in these higher numbers are fried vegan foods or processed foods, et cetera. So it's not only what you eat, but how you prepare what you eat. And so this level of precision has enabled us to communicate with our patients, number one, precisely what they're supposed to consume and what they're supposed to avoid. The other thing is that We've been, of late, we've been able to publish our work. Uh, we've published an abstract in American Heart Association using our 28-day, uh, 30-day, really, in this case, uh, nutritional detox from patient A from zero, level zero to four B. Using this very food classification system allowed us to publish work and hopefully in the future continue to publish work and give some level of precision in terms of what our patients are eating. 
So yes, it's vegan and plant-based. You can use those terms and phrases, but more specifically, we have a, a food classification system that gives an added level of precision to what our patients are to consume. And I think that gives us uh, uh, some level of advantage in terms of treating patients in the clinical space. Got it. So basically, uh, plant-based could be vegan, but none of the trash foods that That's some vegans might eat. Would that be clear? Uh, would that be a uh, clear synopsis on that? That's exactly right. And this food classification scale that you just um, gave a brief overview, um, is that something that you came up with or is that a standard measure in, in the plant-based world? Yeah, something that I devised. In fact, I have a patent pending on it. It's, uh, that's been a struggle in and of itself. That's probably a, <laughs> a book, if you will. Uh, and and it's, um, it's something that we hope to um, uh, expand if we're successful in using. And so it is something that we came up with and we hope to, uh, to uh, share with the world. Okay, perfect. Well, if you need a good patent attorney, IP patent attorney, uh, I've, got, I've got one for you. Uh, just let me know. Um, okay, so you've, so you've got a proprietary food classification. And full disclosure, I, I've eaten at, at your restaurant. Um, you helped my mom with some health challenges um, and get help get her through with, with your restaurant. And so I, I know your classification. I just didn't realize it was proprietary to you um, and your office. And we, we always like when physicians have good uh, intellectual property that can, can survive them and can be an asset that they can pass down um, to their children and grandchildren. Now, you talked a little earlier about lessons that you learned from your, um, from your mother and her illness, and we're going we're gonna to definitely put a link to your book uh, on the show notes, um, but can you, can you go into some of those lessons that you learned um, that kind of helped you develop this pathway? Yeah, that's exactly right. So, what happened with my mom, she was a diabetic uh, for years and, 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 you know, she followed the rules. She followed her diet, took her medications, et cetera. Uh, and uh, she uh, was diagnosed with a meningioma, had symptoms of dizziness and the like. And we, I sent it to a neurologist who made the diagnosis. And in the context of, of you know, having that evaluated, it was decided that she needed to have surgery because it was causing some uh, CNS edema and some problems and the like too large for, you know, uh, gamma knife or any of those other non-invasive approaches. Mm -hmm. So it has to be surgically excised. Uh, she underwent a cardiac uh, workup, had some angelal symptoms. Uh, this all led to best testing the calf. Uh, long story short, she had a stent placed prior to having the neurosurgical treatment. Uh, she did well with this, uh, actually uh, went through that process uh, a colleague of mine did a great job. After about seven, six or seven months, she had the surgery. Went through the surgery re reasonably well. In fact, if you had to choose the type of tumor, of course, it'd be a meningioma if it was a brain tumor. And if you had to choose the location of the tumor, you'd probably choose the location she had because it's uh, external and you know very uh, accessible. Uh, so she went through surgery very well. Uh, one of the things they did uh, in the post-operative period with uh, the neurosurgical uh, procedure was that uh, she uh, was given anticonvulsive medications. Of course, those things are processed through the liver. Yes. She had problems and didn't tolerate it too well. She would have these spells where she'd go out and so on. And it wasn't quite clear what was going on. She didn't tolerate some of the anticonvulsives, so we stopped some of those uh, and what have you. She uh, got out of her initial hospitalization, did well. But this began a long course, uh, torturous course of her being 
waxing and waning spells, lots of neurological problems and so on and so forth. Part of it was trying to clear the anesthesia, part of it was different anticonvulsants that were tried and various other medications. And we didn't really realize what was going on, but uh, as things progressed, uh, she had more and more neurological problems. She would come have lots of clarity at some points, and then other points she was very, very fuzzy. Uh, and it wasn't clear to us. So her condition, she fell once, had a second neurological event, had a brain bleed, had to go back in, had a prolonged hospitalization, more medications. So as things progressed, she developed uh, some very significant conditions. She developed tense ascites, such as she developed abdominal compartment syndrome, had to have emergent surgery. She also developed fluid, uh, had pushed up through a diaphragm, developed pericardial effusion and tamponade. One night I had gone an emergent to do pericardial synthesis. A lot of these, you know, conditions. And uh, at, when they opened her up to relieve the uh, abdominal compartment syndrome, the surgeons noticed that, of course, her small intestines were a little bit compromised by the abdominal compartment syndrome, but that had recovered. What they did notice was the liver. The liver was sclerosed, and it did not recover. And so eventually she died of liver failure. Oh, wow. So it was quite shocking. The two things, she had been seeing a gastroenterologist for a prolonged period of time, never did have any significant elevated liver enzymes. And so that was something that we never really suspected, the liver's uh, functioning abnormally. And then um, for her to have such advanced liver disease was quite a shock to everybody. So when I look back over things, I noticed that you know, virtually all the medications she had taken over the, the years were hepatically cleared. So that's one thing. Two, as at this time I was learning more and more about food, uh, the stress that animal protein put on the liver and so on and so forth. So I started putting two and two together and I realized these neurological spells that she was having and the neurologist and neurosurgeon weren't sure what they were. They were calling it plaz. They weren't sure if there were seizure episodes. They weren't. But basically, she was just having a form of encephalopathy due to progressive liver failure because we were giving her different medication, be it antibiotics and so on. And her liver going into this stuff was very borderline as well. So one thing I learned is that lots of patients, and this is a little bit before we started uh, describing non-alcoholic fatty liver. And so this uh, subsequent this time, we started recognizing more and more people with non-alcoholic fatty liver. But I realized that many of our patients come in and they have some hepatic dysfunction that's quote unquote subclinical. Some people may come in and say, well, you know, I forget things, I'm a little bit fuzzy and so on and so forth. And oftentimes I'll look at their medication list, I'll check an ammonia level, an albumin level, a PTNI, and I don't look at, rely on liver enzymes. And if two, one or two or three of these are abnormal, I'm suspicious of the Oftentimes, you make changes in medication. So we've found one lesson I learned is the hepatic dysfunction oftentimes is multifactorial and related to lots of toxins we're bringing in and so on. The other lesson I learned was how important optimal nutrition is because after it was around time and shortly after my mom died, I started applying a plant-based diet. I did a raw juice feast myself, figured out how well that worked and started applying raw plant-based foods to patients. And I realized that you know this was a key. I've had other patients with similar conditions as my mom. I was able to bring them through. 
And so I often say, you know, my mom when I was young taught me how to read, tell time, et cetera. And she used to say, well, I'm going to be your mother to the day I die. Well, that was very profound because on her deathbed, she taught me the most important lesson in medicine I'll ever learn. And so it was just one of those insightful things that, uh, you know, I'll never forget. Wow. That's, that's, that's a powerful story. My hope is that you use that on the, on the, on the speaking circuit because that really, that really hits home uh, where kind of crystallization for you, your journey, she kind of, in some ways, kickstarted that. And even though position didn't help her specifically, Mm -hmm. she's now echoing and radiating radiating out to the rest of the medical world because now you are able to do this and take this forward. And so we talk about the kind of fatty, fatty liver, kind of a cryptogenic kind of liver disease. I can make an assumption, but what are you seeing when you put your current patients on this uh, plant-based diet, what are you seeing in terms of liver function and those kinds of things anecdotally? Anecdotally, we've seen uh, patients really turn around. One patient come to mind, he was a gentleman who came to us not initially as a patient, but really as a, uh, a client in our boot camp class. And so the interesting thing is that he had uh, some elevated liver enzymes and, and, and no one could figure out what was going on. And, and so he saw uh, a liver specialist uh, in one of the hospitals in the medical center and uh, one of the top people. And, and I remember, you know, he telling me, yes, I went and uh, the guy drew lots of tubes of blood and uh, went back and he says, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> and so, um, so he went through our boot camp for four weeks. We got a before and after his GP was elevated before and all of that. And so we got a before and after and very, uh, in a short period of time, uh, those enzymes had gone down very significantly. Uh, just based on the nutritional cleansing he had undergone. We've had a number of other patients that uh, had pretty uh, moderately advanced uh, liver dysfunction, and we've seen them actually turn around. And so we've seen lots of cases where patients do quite well. There's a combination of things that we do. Uh, so like if there are multiple drugs that are cleared through the liver uh, that are treating other chronic illnesses, uh, a natural plant-based diet and a detox will remove the need for those other medications and therefore allow us to take them off those medications as well. So it's really a double benefit. You're nourishing the body, one, that with the nutrition, you remove the toxic foods that you're eating. So that's one benefit. You're eating foods that are more nourishing and healthy to your organs. But then the other benefit, because you're improving your other chronic illnesses, you're decreasing the need for other medications and therefore improving your health that way. Oh, absolutely. And so can you share kind of in your experience with, with the hundreds and probably thousands of patients that you have, what are the top chronic diseases that you are seeing um, great responses for um, with, with your plant-based diet? Yeah. Well, number one is a cardiologist. I see patients with cardiovascular disease, the spectrum from heart failure, uh, to coronary artery disease, to hypertension, um, uh, and the variety. Uh, the, the risk factors there of elevated cholesterol, diabetes. Uh, we see a lot of patients with arthritis, uh, systemic arthritic conditions. Uh, we've had patients with uh, lupus and, and um, rheumatoid arthritis who are on uh, the biologic agents, uh, whom we've been, been able to get off these biological agents. Uh, we've had patients with renal disease that were able to stabilize their renal dysfunction 
and, and delay the need for dialysis and then some delay it indefinitely. Uh, we've had individuals, uh, some of my favorite patients actually have been patients who come in with fibrosis lungs <laughs> and on oxygen. And so we see them come off oxygen. We see the oxygen levels go up. One patient who comes to mind had chronic, some component of chronic obstructive lung disease and some component of lung fibrosis. And so she required uh, oxygen 24-7. And in fact, she, on oxygen, she would desaturate while ambulating. Well, we put on a raw diet and we tracked her, her oxygen saturation over time. And we saw that her resting oxygen saturation increased both with oxygen and eventually without oxygen. And we got her to the point where she was able to ambulate and without oxygen and keep her saturation above 90%. And so, you know, these are some patients that we see and we've been able to uh, reverse their chronic illnesses. Okay, perfect. And you talked a little bit about functional medicine. And so in, in your world, what, what is that? How are you, you say you're starting to add that into your practice. In what ways and what, what does that, can you explain to someone who is maybe not familiar with the term? Yeah, you know, functional medicine studies the biochemical processes of the body and it try to treat patients at the biochemical level. Uh, and so oftentimes functional medicines will, uh, uh, in the realm of functional medicine, they will you know, test based on nutritional deficiencies and treat based on those nutritional deficiencies. Uh, our approach originated from the food component. So we start from whole foods and remove you know, toxic foods and so we try to cover the foundation with whole natural plant foods. So after a patient's gone through that process for a while, then we'll look at them and say, okay, what else is there? And oftentimes patient may need some help in other areas. Maybe they have thyroid dysfunction. And so, you know, um, consuming foods high in iodine may be beneficial or, or radish or something like that. Or we may, of course, supplement uh, bioidentical hormones uh, for patients with hormone deficiency. And we're just getting into this realm. Uh, I'm doing my own research in that. There's a standard out there, but you know, there's some other data uh, that I want to look at and investigate. We supplement vitamins on a targeted basis. Again, that's within the realm of functional medicine, whether it's B12 or vitamin D. And we've had patients come in with pernicious anemia and various other ailments. So we work in that realm, but the, the component of functional medicine starts with the food with us, and then we target other areas. Uh, we may give high-dose vitamin C orally uh, for patients who have an immune, uh, immune compromised system, patients who are recovering from uh, breast cancer and other conditions like that. So we're just getting into that realm, and that's, that's the direction we're going in the context of what we're doing now. Got it. And, and I always appreciate you because you are a, a clinician scientist and you do your research as opposed to kind of just taking anecdotal um, approaches to what it is you're doing. And so for someone who is just starting out on a plant-based journey or wants to learn more, what resources would you point them towards um, in terms of kind of what you did on the research side to get to where you are on the, in terms of kind of plant-based diets? What would, you, what would you recommend they read or websites yeah. they would go to? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there are a number of great books out there. I'll start with my own bias, my book, The Food Prescription for Better Health. Of course, we're going to put that number one, of course. It can be found on Amazon uh, and uh, on our website, MontgomeryHeart.com. Uh, a number of books, and, and I think that that book does um, uh, a number of good things. It's, uh, it's a fairly straightforward read. Mm -hmm. uh, it covers concepts 
of, of plant-based eating and the whole concept is vegan per se, but the whole, you know, it covers some science and it does it in a straightforward manner. Uh, the China study is, is a well-known, uh, very popular book by T. Colin Campbell. Dr. Campbell has done a great job of outlining extensive uh, research that he's done. Uh, it's a pretty extensive read, but very thorough. And I think it gives uh, um, uh, the reader a very good grasp of the power and the science behind the benefits of plant-based nutrition. Okay. Uh, Dr. Campbell also wrote a book, Whole, which is, you know, uh, fairly theoretical, but again, uh, covers a lot of good concepts of nutrition and, and the concept of eating whole foods as opposed to supplementing and things. Uh, Eat to Live by Dr. Furman is very good. Um, Reversing Diabetes by Dr. Uh, um, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. Um, oh, no, that's no. what we have Google for. We'll, yeah. I'll put it in the show notes so people can yeah. Can get it. You said eat to live. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get the uh, we'll get the author and put it in the show notes. Exactly. So I, that's a good number of uh, books that can be read. Uh, I would suggest uh, a few good documentaries. Okay. Uh, Over knives is a very good one. Mm -hmm. uh, what the health is, is a very good uh, documentary. Uh, there's also a documentary that's not quite uh, has not quite been distributed. Uh, it's called The Invisible Vegan. Uh, for the African-American community, I think it's very good, but it's for the general community in general. Uh, and uh, but, but those three are very good. There, there are a lot of documentaries out there. If someone would Google or search vegan documentaries on Netflix, they find some excellent ones. But, you know, Forks Over Knives and What the Health, I think, do an excellent job. And, and many people have gotten a lot of benefit from it. Okay, perfect. Um, and so... We, what I want to do now is kind of allow you to kind of promote your practice. Uh, I know that you uh, are make or have a food line, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. and I think you are able to to ship across the country because we we, we do have a, a a national and potentially international li listenership. So, mm -hmm. what do you have out there for people? Let's just talk about it from a product standpoint in terms of the foods that you're making based upon your your scale. What, what do you have offered to the public? Yeah, thanks. That's a good question. So what our approach uh, in this arena has been toward treating patients with some of the more severe illnesses. And so we had to come from the perspective of the quote unquote, the cleanest foods. I mean, different people come into this spectrum from different angles. We didn't have the luxury of coming with any kind of vegan food and making it taste good. So we, our, most of our food is raw plant-based food. Uh, and, uh, you know, the foods that, let's say, for instance, someone wanted to, you know, uh, ship in uh, breakfast bars or chips. We have some frozen snacks that can be shipped. Uh, and we came up with these types of foods largely because when I put someone on the detox regimen. So a detox regimen is raw fruits and vegetables only for four weeks. Now, most people think about that. So well, wait a minute. What is that? That's apples, celery sticks, carrots. Uh, they said, well, I can probably do that for four days, but four weeks, that's a challenge. So we had to put together gourmet food in the context of raw food. That's from level zero to four B. And in addition to that, we had to make certain foods that were convenient foods. So if someone's following a regimen, eh, you can get up in the morning, make a smoothie most of the time. You can make salads most of the time, et cetera. But sometimes life gets in the way and you're busy, you have meetings, you have travel, et cetera. 
you're working late at the office, you can't get away. You don't always have a blender around, et cetera. So you need to be set up to succeed. So we created foods such as chips, um, uh, breakfast bars, we have oatmeal raisin cookies, we have uh, onion rings, which are dehydrated, where you can stash in your, your cupboard at work or wherever in convenient places to where if you are famished, you have something to snack on. So those are the types of foods that, let's say you know, you're know you not in the Houston area and you wanted to follow a detox program, we have uh, a lot of recipes that you can download in our educational section. Uh, but you can also order snack packs with our onion rings, chips, breakfast bars, and the like. And you can have these foods to, as an adjunct to, say, the salads you make and the salad dressings that you make from our recipes and the smoothies. Because these are some of the key areas where, in my experience, over the 10, 12 years we've been doing this, that we saw patients having trouble and challenges is when they needed something quick and easy and uh, they just didn't have time to make a smoothie or make a salad. Got it. And so what, what's the website? How would somebody order that from you? Uh, MontgomeryHeart.com is our main website. That's uh, for the Wellness Center. And it talks about a whole concept uh, of the uh, business. Uh, the, we also have a restaurant, and it has a website, which can be linked from MontgomeryHeart.com. But the rest, the website, direct website, website link is garden foods that's plural gardenfoods.com and uh they can go on the website and then see the menu and uh, order things there as well we also have programs if you're local you can come to the facility uh, we take all insurance that's one thing unique about our program most programs similar to this uh are cash only and you have to pay put in an exorbitant fee at some places uh, our program, even though it's not an on-site program, we have uh, a situation where we have nutritionists on-site as a clinical team. So we follow you clinically in parallel to the nutritional cleansing and detox pro programs that we will prescribe. Uh, we've had a number of patients that come from around the uh, country who will relocate to the Houston area for four to six weeks and undergo our therapy, then go back we could follow them through telemedicine. So there's a variety of ways that individuals can uh, see us. We also have phone consultation services um, for modest fee. Lots of patients who've seen our program uh, nationally and to some extent internationally, they want to get more information and to talk directly with me. They're able to go on and schedule a phone consultation. It's non-medical. They sign a non-medical waiver and that type of thing, uh, but uh, they get insight. So we have a number of ways in which we can, you know, reach out and touch uh, people from afar. There's a free ebook uh, that you get uh, when you uh, go to the website. There's also uh, uh, we're developing a forum that'll be coming out in another three months, uh, where our nutritional team will be able to interact uh, with uh, our people on our mailing list and what have you. Some of our people with successful stores. It's amazing how patients. Many of our patients have developed an expertise of their own yeah. and people have been successful. And that's our goal. We want to, you know, I tell patients, look, I want to make you your own expert. You know, I want you to be able to go and maintain your health on a regular basis. We could be on the sidelines on an as needed basis, helping with, you know, you know, nuances of problems that, that, you know, things may get out of hand, but ideally we want you maintaining your health with optimal nutrition, exercise and the like. Uh, come back and see us when we have a new 
fancy recipe on, you know, nachos or whatever the case is, but otherwise, you know, maintain your health and continue to do the right thing. Got it. So it sounds like you are trying to push uh, patients to empower themselves to take ownership and control of their own health. Um, and, and that's the only way we're going to ultimately curb uh, these rising healthcare costs uh, to begin with. And so as we wrap up, is there anything that you would like, to, anything that I didn't ask you, anything that you would like to cover um, that I may have forgotten to ask you about or you feel uh, a primarily physician audience needs to hear? Yeah, no, I, I think you've been very thorough in your questioning. One thing I like to, I frequently in conversations like this uh, with is the fact that, you know, this is something that we are all in together. I mean, this is a, a mission that we're in. I mean, health illness is something that's really eating away at our, our country and to some extent maybe our world in, in terms of um, uh, how people are suffering. Uh, autopsy studies have shown that from kids roughly ages 14 to 16, about 65% of them have atherosclerosis. Uh, if you look at autopsy studies in male soldiers aged roughly 22, uh, averages back in uh, the Korean War, close to 80% of them have atherosclerosis, growth atherosclerosis, and it gets higher. So as we get older, by the time someone is, say, 35 or 40, maybe 45, you know, the prevalence of atherosclerosis is virtually universal, especially during you know, uh, the standard American lifestyle. So sickness is becoming the norm, and we need to turn this thing around. And it's a mission. Uh, we're all in this together to the extent that we all subscribe to healthy lifestyle um, programs and venues. These programs and venues then thrive, and that becomes the dominance of the environment. Right now, the dominance of the environment is you know, sickness and poor health. Um, you know, many people are on medications. Many people are eating bad food. Many people are not moving or exercising or getting adequate sunshine. So we need to turn this around. And, uh, and this is something that we're all in together because you know, if we don't all take care of this problem together, we're gonna all go down together because this is an epidemic that affects every one of us, whether we're sick or not. Well, well, we do as, as from physician to physician, we appreciate you because you are a, a, a shining light of how someone can take their passion and meld it into their medical practice. And I'd like to have you back to talk about that kind of in our path of practice silo in terms of kind of what your practice actually looks like um, in terms of structure, in terms of who you have in place, um, and in terms of what it's done for you kind of psychologically, um, in terms of your well-being and fulfillment as a physician and clinician who's still, who is still practicing. So um, I hope to, to be able to do that in the future. Great. I look forward to it. Perfect. And so let's, let's give your websites one more time. Um, and I will, like I said, put them in the show notes, but I want you to be able to, uh, to, to say them clearly for everybody this one last time. Perfect. Yeah, we can be reached. Uh, the best way to reach us online is MontgomeryHeart.com. Uh, MontgomeryHeart.com. You can also Google my name, Baxter Montgomery, MD, Houston. Uh, and uh, that'll bring up the information. Our restaurant website is Garden Kitchen Foods. That's gardenkitchenfoods.com. Uh, and uh, you can go to our menu there and see all the goodies that we uh, prepare in the kitchen. Perfect. And so we want to thank Dr. Baxter Montgomery, cardiologist here in Houston, Texas, for joining us uh, on the Path of Health today. Uh, this is Dr. Eric Tate for the Physician's Road, and we will see you on the next episode.
The Physician's Road is brought to you by Vernonville Asset Management. Vernonville Asset Management was created to help physicians build wealth and create income beyond Wall Street. Through our exclusive private investments, doctors can begin to free themselves from the burdensome regulations in healthcare by creating income streams independent of medicine. Go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get your free report, Wall Street's Biggest Lie. Again, go to IncomeBeyondWallStreet.com to get Wall Street's Biggest Lie and free your today. Thank you for listening to The Physician's Road, where you create your life in medicine on your own terms. Please go to thephysiciansroad.com and sign up for your free guides and resources.